Truth News Network. A political party is willing to crash an entire country just to get rid of one man. What are they so afraid of? And how come nobody's asking that question? Well, one man is. In the relentless pursuit of the truth, you've reached TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's the man asking the tough questions, Dan Newman. And the reason they're so afraid of that one man, it's because he doesn't fit in. He doesn't tow the political, bureaucratic, swamp state line. That's a lot of words to spit out there, isn't it? But of course, they're talking about, Pete Moss was, and I am, about former President Donald Trump. He's an enigma. He doesn't fit the political corner that they push everybody in that comes to Washington, D.C. The political corner, how does that work? Well, when you get there, you're a newbie. And they tell you, it doesn't matter which party you represent, you go over there in the corner and you sit there, sit down and be quiet and say something when we tell you to speak and do something when we tell you to go do whatever it is. That's the world in which we live. Do you think this is still the freest country on the planet? I got to tell you, I'm not so convinced anymore. Why? Because every day more information comes to this studio that proves otherwise. We have been being used by our government, its various iterations, its forms, and its various bureaucrats that end up in power through the years, especially this century. We've been being used. We're just pawns in the big scheme of the deep state. Yeah, it's real. It is not a conspiracy theory. Well, 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 welcome to Thursday at TNN Live. I'm so glad you choose every day to join us. And we've got a lot to cover. But let's just relax for a minute, okay? There aren't enough words to say When all I need Is I no longer love you I'd like to leave it lie right there Cause the rest ain't kind Picking up my pride And I'll be on my way If you no longer need me
just got busted in a relationship or two. <laughs> That's Michael McDonald. I told you that uh, we were going to share Michael McDonald's songs. We play a song at the top of the show. We play a song going out every show. And why do we do that? Because that's what I want to do. I'm a musician. I love music. And I pick artists that I really, really like. In most cases, sometimes I know there are people out there that like an artist and like a song that I may not like, and I want you to keep listening, so we'll play those songs. <laughs> and by the way, if you have a request at any time, this isn't a radio show, but if it was, I'd be taking requests. Hey, 107.9 WTPI, come all the way up to the soft side of the FM dial and send us your request. <laughs> Dan at truthnewsnet.org, Dan at truthnewsnet.org. That may not make you chuckle. But Marianne is somewhere, and I think she's listening. She probably chuckles because she remembers when I said that professionally on air at TPI, WTPI in Indianapolis. I hope you had a good day yesterday. And I, uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to have a good day today. Mine started off with a bang. Uh, I just got off a conference call in time to get on the air here with you guys. And we have much that we need to talk about. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And I'm going to give you some news right now at the top of the show that'll blow your mind. And I doubt if you're going to hear about it any other place today. What could it possibly be? Well, it's not so much good news, but it's news. Comes out overnight that the Biden administration wasted half a trillion dollars. For those of you that can't, count numbers that have that many zeros, that's half a trillion, it's $500 billion lost, wasted, gone. And that's in the Biden administration's first two years only. And the reason for losing that amount of money is due to what are labeled as improper payments. Now, this is coming from a federal data audit. So it's factual. So the OMB, Office of Management Budget, this data was collected and it reveals at least $528 billion, at least $528 billion was improperly paid by the feds in the first two years of Biden being POTUS. The report defines improper payments as, quote, payments that should not have been made or that were made in an incorrect amount. This is a prime example of the institutionalized incompetence 
of the administrative state. That's from the CEO of Open the Books. That's who ran this audit. Now, don't get me wrong. Joe Biden doesn't have an exclusive on making stupid financial choices and decisions. I'm sure this happens to some degree in every administration, but it never has happened to this degree in any previous administration. The center left somehow believes in an elite scientific public good to the administrative state. And this report calls the entire paradigm into question. So in the first two years of Bidenism, 17 governmental agencies reported improper payments. Who are those agencies? Well, the Department of Health and Human Services, which paid out right at $300 billion. The Department of Labor, $97 billion. And the Treasury Department, that includes the IRS, by the way, they paid out $52 billion. That's according to this report. The biggest increase in these improper payments from 2021 and 2022 were made by the SBA, the Small Business Administration, which increased improper payments, not all payments, improper payments. It went up $36 billion. Even though this number is large, it's vastly underreported by their admission. The inspector general said that COVID fraud alone amounted to over $100 billion. Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz. You've seen him around. You've heard his reports. He's previously spoken about rampant fraud present in COVID-19 relief programs. There are credible reports that $400 billion was stolen just through the unemployment security programs during COVID that were administered by the Department of Labor. We could give you nightmare reports. We heard early on in this, more than 200 million ended up in the hands of people in China, communist China. Improper spending peaked in 2010 at 242 billion and decreased over the next several years until beginning to steadily rise again in the middle of Trump's administration. COVID pandemic, that's when it blew up. A total of $281 billion was lost due to improper payments in the 2001 fiscal year, which is the highest amount ever recorded. Dead people. This one you got to love. Dead people during that two-year period got right at a billion dollars in payments from federal retirement services, old age, survivors, and disability insurance, and Social Security. The government has a history of sending payments to dead people, with the Social Security Administration paying nearly $42 million to 500 dead people during the 2018 fiscal year. So of that $528 billion in proper improper payments made during the Biden half of his administration. The government has only been able to identify $51 billion of overpayments that can be recaptured, only 45% of those funds being recovered. Both parties are to blame. Congress has the power of the purse and is supposed to be auditing and giving oversight to the executive branch since they provide the money. 
This falls right on Congress and their toothless ability to hold federal executive agencies accountable. Oh, my gosh. None of this should surprise us. It is virtually impossible for any administration to pass out money as this one has and is still today without it being rife with corruption. You find a bunch of government money going out, you're going to find a bunch of corruption. And sad to say this, but a big portion of that corruption is premeditated. It's planned. And that would mean outside people that aren't part of the government colluding with people that are in the know or maybe either either have access to people in the government that make decisions of where money goes or they may be purposefully hacking into federal systems and orchestrating this corruption themselves. Whichever it is, it's got to stop. We're going to jump all around today during the show because there are so many things out there. And normally what we try to do is stay on track in one specific area of conversation before we move to another one. But today we're going to be jumping around because even as we're on the show live, there are things that are changing across the spectrum of government. FBI's deputy director yesterday admits the redacting mention of Joe and Hunter Biden recordings in that document that Christopher Wray, he never gave to Congress. But he let Congress, at least members of that committee, the Oversight Committee, go into a skiff and look at. But they redacted one of the most important parts of the document that revealed those 17 phone calls that were recorded between Joe, Hunter, and that oligarch from Ukraine, the one that gave all of that money, $10 million split between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I must correctly say, allegedly, we know the money's come through the Biden family syndicate accounts because the Oversight Committee actually has bank deposits that show that money going out, being wire transferred to various shell corporations. If it was all Joe, if it was all Hunter, we don't know that for sure yet, but that is still under investigation. This deputy director of the FBI, Paul Abate, A-B-B-A-T-E, he admitted during a Judiciary Committee hearing that the FBI redacted any mention of those audio recordings of Joe and Hunter in a document shown last week to Republican lawmakers in which that FBI whistleblower informant alleged that Biden was involved in a bribery scheme sometime around 2015 and 2016. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee was the one that was doing the grilling when Abate confirmed this. He said, quote, what I tell you with respect to the document, the document was redacted to protect the source. Now this opens up another can of worms. The source. Who's the source they're protecting? It's this FBI whistleblower. Let me say this. I understand. If this information got out, that particular guy's name went public, you can bet his life and maybe the lives of those around him, maybe family members, would be in jeopardy. And I can understand them redacting 
the information, but what I can't understand or accept is the fact that they could have released all of that information and redacted out his name. And the American people and their representatives, the members of this House Oversight Committee that were in the skiff in the belly of the Capitol, seeing these documents, this Form 1023, they would have seen and know then that the FBI had been sitting on damning Biden information that alleges actual bribery by the current sitting president, Joe Biden, when he was vice president. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, he's the one that broke all this. He revealed this document to the public. It was a transcript of an FBI interview with that informant. It contained references to those phone calls, 15 with Hunter, two with then-Vice President Joe Biden. However, Grassley said when the document was made available to the Oversight Committee last week under pressure from Republicans, the references to the audio recordings had been deleted. Now, here's how this came out, these um, conversations, these 17 phone calls came out to be in the public marketplace of ideas so that we knew about them. Grassley pointed out the document is an unclassified document, shouldn't be redacted, let alone need to be reviewed in a sensitive compartmentalized information facility that, short for that term, is SCIF, which the FBI made lawmakers to do. Abate had at first tried to skirt the question when asked by Senator Blackburn, After he finally responded, she told him, I think it would be helpful when you come before us. If you were willing to answer the questions, it would help to remove the perception that the American people have, they see you do it every day, and that is politicizing the FBI and using it against the American people who don't happen to be named Biden, Clinton, or one of the other elite's names. Abate also denied the FBI was politicized, which Blackburn disagreed with, and I think most Americans disagree with too. Blackburn said there are two very clear standards of justice in this country. We see it every single day. Americans, blue-collar, white-collar, filthy rich Americans see it now every day, and it's like the FBI doesn't even try to cover it up anymore. The American people see this every day. They look at you and see a politicized entity, entity, the FBI, that is weaponizing an agency of the federal government against the American people. And I think that's probably the big takeaway here. It's confirmed over and over and over again now. It's like the intelligence agencies, especially the DOJ itself, the FBI, CIA, they don't even care what the American people know about They're horror shows that they're playing against the American people. Americans see it. Americans get it. Americans don't like it, and it's got to stop. So who's going to stand in line on behalf of we Americans, we plebes, out in the hitherlands across the fruited plains? Those of us that work hard every day, we have families, Some of us have small businesses, and we just want our government to do what it's supposed to do, which is represent the people of the United States and get out of this. It's for them. It's for the bureaucratic state. 
It's for those power junkies, part of those 535 elected individuals that serve in the Congress. I don't know how many bureaucrats unelected serve in the executive branch of government. I don't know. But all of those people need to get out of the way and stop hiding the facts from the American people. One of the most egregious perpetrators of this is from the House of Representatives, California Congressman Adam Schiff. For years, he's been known to be totally dishonest, two-faced, and unbelievably pointing fingers at everybody else, never taking responsibility for any of his own actions. And there were a group of people in the House of Representatives that basically said, we've had enough of Schiff. And so Representative Anna Luna from down in Florida introduced a resolution to censure Adam Schiff. And one would think Republicans have a majority, though a small, slim majority in the House of Representatives. One would think that every Republican would vote to censure Adam Schiff. Now, what teeth is there on the censure bone? There aren't many, but it sends a message to whoever would be censured. Straighten your act up, or we're going to get the people in your state to kick you out of office. Yesterday, the House had a vote on that censure resolution. And guess what? It didn't pass. Why didn't it pass? 20 Republicans in the House voted with their Democrats to kill Representative Luna's resolution to censor Adam Schiff. 20 Republicans. Who are some of them? I'll I'll tell you some names. Several of them, I have no idea. I really don't know who they are. Other than members name Armstrong from North Dakota, Chavez de Rimmer from Oregon, Sis Camone from Arizona, Cole from Oklahoma, Davidson from Ohio, Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, Granger from Texas, Graves. I know, I know Congressman Graves from down in the, uh, uh, the suburbs of New Orleans, hardcore leftists. Keene from New Jersey, Kylie from California, Kim from California, Lawler and Massey from New York and Kentucky, McClintock from California, Molinero, Obermulte, Simpson, Turner, Valedo, and Womack. Those are the last names of the 20 that voted with Democrats, and they let Adam Schiff out of censure jail. So Representative Anna Paulina Luna, she's a Republican from South Florida who introduced a resolution. She's not done yet. She tweeted after that vote. So there's no confusion, as some did not accurately read the bill. I will be filing a privilege motion to censure and send Schiff to ethics, the ethics committee for investigation. And she ended that tweet by saying, see you next week, Adam. So what meat is there in these types of resolutions? Well, this one called a censure and condemn ship. And it wasn't just about his most recent outburst and problems that he's foisted on pretty much everybody in the house but for pushing the Russia collusion hoax from his perch at the top of the House Intelligence Committee for years, 
claiming over and over again there was circumstantial evidence of collusion with Russia by Donald Trump and others in his administration. However, Special Counsel Robert Mueller, he said no evidence of any criminal collusion by Trump or anybody in his campaign. And the resolution also called a censorship for his role in leading an impeachment inquiry against Trump in 2019. During that inquiry, he recited a made-up phone conversation between Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. I watched that hearing live when he did it. I could not believe what he did. He actually wrote a fake content of a fake telephone call, and in it, he put words in it that were damning if they had actually been from the context of the phone call. But they weren't. And he didn't quantify to the public who he knew millions were listening and watching. I wonder how many, what percentage of people that listened and watched actually thought that telephone call, the context of the call that shift gave, how many wondered and just believed that was the real phone call? And it wasn't. The resolution stated the American taxpayer paid $32 billion, excuse me, $32 million to fund the special counsel into Trump and his campaign, all based on Schiff's lies, his misrepresentations, and his abuses of sensitive information. It also called for Schiff to be fined $16 million bucks if the Committee on Ethics found that Schiff lied, made misrepresentations, and abuse sensitive information. In case you didn't know it, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, also from California, McCarthy, the Republican, moved, removed Schiff from the House Intelligence Committee for his role in pushing the Russia collusion hoax. That's not sufficient. Schiff has got to be kicked to the curb. If he's going to stay in Congress, and the people of his district, they're the ones that decide who wins, who goes to D.C. and represents that particular district. I don't think we Americans want to, because we don't have the authority in the first place, to kick anybody out of the House. But until the next election, they can be kicked to the curb, and Kevin McCarthy's already done everything that he can do as Speaker of the House. We're just getting cranking, folks. Much, much more ahead. We got some real meaty things to talk about right after this. <clears throat> Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. For over 75 years, people have saved money with. Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go from the top and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years. 
<laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the... I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Back to business. Yesterday in Congress, we had a lot of hearings going on. Uh, a lot of people in the administration being called to task for things that were done, things that were not done. And Senator Josh Hawley was in the middle of a bunch of it. Two things. I'm going to tell you the first part of it. He got in the face of Mr. Paul Abate. That's the FBI deputy director that testified before the um, Senate. I guess it was the Intelligence Committee. Anyway. Senator Hawley asked debate during that committee hearing several times if he would make a commitment to the American people to release the unclassified document, that 1023 that's been at the center of everyone's focus over the past few weeks that FBI's Director Christopher Wray refused to show to the American people, even though it's not classified. So Hawley asked him if he would commit to release that document but the deputy director repeatedly refused to say yes or no. He wouldn't say either one in reply. Instead, Abate said the FBI would work with Hawley and the committee, quote, within the parameters that are established to meet the request. And he wouldn't specify what the parameters were. Basically what the parameters are, whatever Christopher Ray or the Department of Justice Attorney General, whatever they say, that's the way it's going to go. Deputy Abate claimed that releasing the document would potentially put the FBI informant's life at risk. And Hawley responded the same way I did just a moment ago when I gave you that information. Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, he said, well, you can redact the source's name. We do this all the time. Abate argued, though, in some instances, Senator and I know you know this, that's not sufficient to protect people. That's what we strive and work to do each and every day. And I hope you would take that seriously too. And then Holly just exploded. Oh, I take it very seriously. But I also take seriously the fact that your institution has repeatedly abused its authority, has repeatedly targeted political opponents. Your institution is the one that went to the door of pro-life protesters with SWAT teams, to try and intimidate people because of their speech. 
Your institution is the one that treated parents as domestic terrorists because of their speech. Your institution is the one that, according to the court, the FISA court, ran more than a quarter of a million unwarranted, probably illegal queries on Americans' rights. That was your institution, correct? So earlier in his questioning of abate, Hawley also pointed out that Christopher Ray, FBI director, originally wouldn't even confirm the documents existed during a hearing last month. Hawley said, let's just get the record straight. The FBI director initially said that document didn't exist, but he was confronted when Senator Grassley of Iowa said, I've read it. And when Grassley said that in that committee hearing in which Christopher Ray, FBI director, was testifying, Ray said, oh, okay, well, gotcha. I guess it does exist. Now you're going back and forth with members of this committee about what's in it. Why don't you just release it, Hawley asked. So what's in it? Well, the document details what an informant told the FBI, which was that the Bidens allegedly wanted $10 million, $5 million for then Vice President Joe Biden, and $5 million for Hunter Biden to help the Ukrainian owner of the national gas company Burisma, who was then under investigation for corruption. Ukraine was at the time part of Biden's portfolio as vice president. And basically what it was, and I think we'll find out in upcoming days, weeks, and months, and maybe even years, Joe Biden in that official capacity appointed to be Ukraine's overseer, at least from the U.S. government perspective, he was appointed to do that by then-President Barack Obama. And I will tell you this, there is no way Joe Biden was put in any foreign policy situation because he was a foreign policy expert. I personally think he was given that task by Obama to be the bag man. In other words, the person that goes and picks up the money. <laughs> you know, I can speculate sometimes. Back to the document. Senator Grassley revealed that mention of those recordings was redacted or obscured in some way when the document was finally shown to members of the House Oversight Committee last week. So a bait confirmed to Senator Blackburn earlier in the hearing that the FBI had redacted parts of the document before showing them to members of Congress. The day the FBI allowed lawmakers to go see the document was the same day the Biden DOJ indicted former President Trump. And I'm not naive enough to think that those two and the timing of those two were not connected. Biden's got to deflect the heat off of him, his actions, and especially the actions of his son. That's just the way it is. Now, before we move away from Senate hearings, Josh Hawley was involved in another one, a very contentious part of a hearing that had to do with illegal immigrant kids. Many of you, when you hear this, you're going to shake your head. You won't believe this is factual information. Senator Josh Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm glad we're having this hearing. 
And thank you to all of the witnesses. Thank you for being here. I want to visit with you in just a second, but I just want to reiterate something that I heard the chairman say that I agree with, which is that there really ought to be government witnesses sitting there. And I tell you what I'm tired of. I've had Secretary Mayorkas sit in front of me in a different committee, the Homeland Security Committee, where I asked him at length about the outrage of 250,000 migrant children unaccompanied crossing the border in the last two years and tens of thousands of them being sold into slavery. Let's not mince words. They've been sold into slavery. When kids are being put into factories, forced to work overnight, forced to work in terrible conditions, they're not getting paid, they're not going to school, sometimes they're not getting fed, that's slavery. And what I heard from Secretary Mayorkas, don't take my word for it, you go look at the record, read the transcript. What he told me was, oh, it's not my problem. We don't have anything to do with it. Not my problem. Now we have a new report from HHS where they say it's not their problem. Amazing how this works. Nobody's responsible. These kids are literally being sold as slaves in the United States of America in the year 2023, and nobody's responsible. They don't want to come and testify to this committee. You bet they don't. They don't want to be put under oath. They don't want to answer any questions. They don't want cameras here. They don't want to take any responsibility. Well, I tell you, it's somebody's fault. It's not the kid's fault. Thank God for the New York Times, phrase I never thought would come out of my mouth. But really, I mean, thank the Lord that the New York Times did these series of reports because otherwise we'd still be fed the lies, lies from this administration that everything is fine and dandy. We know just where the kids are. It's all great. They're all fine. No, it's not. Is it fine that people like Carolina Yuck, who's 15 years old, I apologize to her if I mispronounced her name, She's one of the, the folks, one of the young women that the New York Times caught up with. What is she doing? Midnight in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a conveyor belt carrying bags of Cheerios past a cluster of young workers. Carolina, every 10 seconds, has to stuff a sealed plastic bag of cereal into a passing yellow carton. It's dangerous work. Fast-moving pulleys and gears that had torn off fingers and ripped open a woman's scalp. The factory was full of underage workers like Carolina who'd crossed the southern border by themselves, vulnerable, now spending late nights bent over hazardous machinery in violation of child labor laws. Carolina says, sometimes I get tired and feel sick. Her stomach often hurt. She was unsure if that was because of the lack of sleep, the stress from the incessant roar of the machines, or the worries she had for herself and her family in Guatemala. This is totally, utterly, completely unacceptable. And I am sick unto death of this administration coming before this Congress and saying, it's not our fault. We have nothing to do with it. We don't know where they are. The kids are fine. Somebody will do it. Somebody will get around to it. Ridiculous. Let's look at some of the things that we've learned about what's going on over at HHS that Secretary Becerra is doing. Here's some quotes from employees at HHS. At least five health and human services staff members said that they were pushed out after raising concerns about child safety. This is all from the New York Times, by the way. Mr. Becerra told the Office of Refugee Resettlement Director that if she could not increase the number of discharges of children, he'd find somebody who would. Next, 20% of kids have to be released every week or you get dinged. It's a conveyor belt of children being forced through the system and what's the priority of HHS? Just get them out as fast as we can. They go to factories. Uh, they go to slave labor. Uh, 
I've written to the FBI and asked the FBI, where are the 80,000 plus children this administration's lost? They don't know. I've said, it's your responsibility to go get them. It's a direct violation of child labor laws. They're not doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. It's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And the fact that the administration won't come and sit there and answer questions to this committee is absurd. And it is nothing more than cowardice. They don't want to answer questions. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to take responsibility for this. So let the record reflect that this administration has let tens of thousands of children be sold into slavery, and they are doing nothing about it. And I hope, Mr. Chairman, I'm glad you said that we would be holding additional hearings. We need to have additional hearings. There need to be administration witnesses there, and we need to figure out what in the world is going on and who's to be held accountable for this. Because I tell you what's not an acceptable answer. It's not acceptable to say, it's not my problem. We wish the kids the best. The kids are in danger. The kids are in slavery. The kids are being exploited. And it should not happen in the United States of America. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So that's one conundrum that came out of the U.S. Senate the last couple of days in Senate hearings. Immigrant kids, illegal immigrant kids, came to the southern border unaccompanied as minors. We don't know how many. We think it's as close to, if not more than, 300,000 of them, most of them unaccounted for. And they're somewhere in the United States, many of them, as you just heard, are working in actual slavery conditions. Nobody's doing anything about it. Have you wondered why? Have you really sat back and pondered through our illegal immigration stuff, specifically from the point of unaccompanied minors? Why would this not be immediately stopped? That would mean if it was going to be stopped, somebody in the administration would have to be the person or some department of the DOJ or Homeland Security would be the place that was hired and full of experts that would take care of these kids. Why hadn't that happened? It's because somebody in a higher position in the political spectrum doesn't want it to stop. So what's at the root of it all? Well, it's evil. Nobody can credibly say it's not evil. Why would it not be stopped? What's at the root of the purpose for it not being stopped? What's the root of it even being allowed? Many of you know exactly where I'm going. The love of money is the root of all evil. Don't even try to reconcile anything to do with these kids. 300,000 of them probably, maybe even more. We don't know. We'll probably never know. And that too is one of the good things, at least those on the left that are evil, those that are suborning this 300,000 illegal immigrant kids being just pushed out across the nation and actually a huge portion of them, if not most of them, or in slavery conditions because of the love of money. Let me throw another little kink into this for you. The FDA is about to unleash significant rule changes 
that are going to be disguised as public health initiatives. That's what the FDA does. And that would empower, and they're not going to tell us this, I'm telling you this, these new health initiatives would empower the Mexican drug cartels and arm them with a lucrative brand new revenue stream. Follow the money. These rule changes would essentially ban all cigarettes. All cigarettes, starting with an outright ban on menthol-flavored cigarettes and flavored cigars. As with all new regulatory overhauls, federal bureaucrats, they of course have studies and reports that backs up, supports their actions. But real experts looking at this latest, they call it a disaster right around the corner. Law enforcement leaders, for example, they're convinced these policies are going to make the humanitarian crisis at our border even worse than it is today. They say the cigarette ban is going to only serve to supply the violent and murderous Mexican drug cartels with some brand new high-demand products. Cigarettes. This seems like a very little blip on the radar screen, doesn't it? Oh, no, 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 no. There are hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. There's very little doubt this regulation is going to create a new illicit market and that it is likely to be enormous. That's according to the Cochise, Arizona County Sheriff Mark Donnells. Readily available data clearly demonstrates this will lead to significant increases in illegal product meeting consumer demand. We already have an illicit market in tobacco products in the U.S., driven primarily by high tax rates. Banning legal sales would create powerful financial incentives for these Mexican cartels and domestic international criminal networks to step in to supply the unmet demand, demand for tobacco products. So with financial incentives this powerful, The question isn't whether an illicit market's going to show up, but just how big it's going to be. Nearly one-third of the 30 million Americans who smoke conventional cigarettes today report using menthol cigarettes, which make up a $25 billion market for the U.S. economy. $25 billion. I would have never thought the number was that high. If made illegal, The trade in menthol cigarettes would present a big opportunity for these cartels to line their pockets and, of course, find new revenue streams. Menthol cigarettes. Banning flavored cigars make up half the cigar market would add another $10 billion, billion with a B, to that, that number, that total. If the proposed cigarette ban were to take place, Americans' economic loss would be the Mexican cartel's $35 billion gain. Now, these cartels, while they're evil, they're very good and very successful entrepreneurs. They see the U.S. as a burgeoning marketplace. According to one Mexican newspaper, Millennio, the cartel de la Gico Nueva Generacion is ramping up its production capability and its sale of illegal cigarettes. This is a self-called, self-labeled tobacco cartel. 
It owns and operates three cigarette manufacturing facilities already and has already expanded its reach throughout Mexico. And it's looking north of the border as its next customer base. And of course, they all view the Biden policy shift as a boon to their business. Even more alarming, the cartel is also known to traffic fentanyl which claimed the lives of more than 70,000 Americans in 2021 is the primary cause of overdose deaths in the U.S. That means the Biden cigarette ban could flood the U.S. with black market cigarettes produced in the same facilities in which the deadly drug fentanyl is manufactured. And by the way, our quote-unquote allies in Southeast Asia, China, They're the ones that provided the manufacturing equipment to the cartels in Mexico with which they're manufacturing fentanyl that they can send across our southern border. Many law enforcement leaders also raise concerns that the new Biden administration rules will turn them into the menthol cigarette police. It will fall on local police to enforce these bans, African-Americans are far more likely to smoke menthol-flavored cigarettes than other ethnic groups. That means local cops will be forced to patrol black neighborhoods and stop and frisking suspected menthol smokers instead of chasing down real criminals. The FDDA's proposal represents an unfunded mandate for law enforcement. It's going to shift responsibility for enforcement of these tobacco products to the state, to the local, and to federal law enforcement, but without any of the resources needed to deal with these new responsibilities. So who wins in all this? You know who wins. The Mexican drug cartels are going to be the big winners should the FDA proceed with this two-plan tobacco rule change. This alone should cause the Biden administration to reverse course. Act now and tell your members of Congress, do everything you can to stop the FDA from handing U.S. cigarette profits over to the Mexican cartels. Now, why would this administration, why would any administration actually go to this length to even consider doing something that is going to financially advantage Mexican drug cartels? while at the same time killing Americans. Why would they do that? There's only one reason why. It's not for power, although many times garnering power from doing these illegal acts gives them a lot of power. It's about the money. The money for the Mexican drug cartels. From McAllen, Texas to Berlin, Germany, the universal language is truth on TNN, the Truth News Network. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. 
Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. Always thought that was a funny sounding song. You remember that? This is a medley of this singer's medley of his hit. That's Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. All, all kind of crazy stuff came out back in the 70s. I guess that was uh, on the tail end of the, um, the drug, uh, the LSD and other kinds of psychedelic drugs that were going across our nation a generation of people coming back from Southeast Asia from the Vietnam War. Those are the ones that turned that way. So you had all kind of music going on. Oh, by the way, good friend of the show, longtime friend of mine, having some um, physical issues out on the West Coast. I don't know the specifics of the issues he's dealing with, but he's been away for several days. He's a faithful follower of the show his first name is Peter, and I want to say Peter is back in the saddle. He's with us. He's listening in today and say, our prayers go with you, my friend. Be well, get well, and stay well. And uh, we want you in, in uh, your life at 100%. We don't want any of this bad stuff to follow you. Speaking of medical stuff, we have a special guest that's going to join us for the entire show this coming Monday. She's been here before, but it's been since May of 2020 when she was here. And that was really before anything big began to happen in the COVID world. Dr. Judy Mikovits, who was a partner to Fauci back in the 90s in uh, the National Institutes of Health. She is a lab researcher. She's a doctor, a uh, infectious disease doctor. And she's going to join us. And it's a really big deal for her to come back here. Why? It's because of who she is and what she's done. When she came on the show back then, she brought information to us that none of us could believe. I've, I've gone back and listened to the show. In fact, we replayed that show in its entirety for you about a month and a half ago. And she made promises of things that were going to happen in Fauci land, in Fauci world, as he became the spokesperson for our, our administration at the time about everything to do with COVID-19. I'm talking about how to treat it, where the research was, looking for vaccines. In the meantime, how do we keep people from dying? Masking, don't mask, social distancing, shut down businesses, shut down suits, um, schools. She weighed in on all of that and told us those were the things Fauci was going to use to cripple the nation, to give power over the American people. People would give up our freedom to try to beat COVID-19, to keep ourselves healthy 
and keep our kids and our moms and dads from dying from COVID-19. She was 100% accurate in what she had to say on that show. She's going to be with us right at 9 o'clock Central Time this coming Monday morning. Now, for those of you that missed that show back in May of 2020, let me tell you what we're going to do here. At our regular show airing time, which is 9 o'clock Central, this coming Sunday, we're going to air that entire show live from 9 to 11 a.m. Sunday morning this week. So you can go back and listen to her and what she had to bring to us those several years ago and then compare it to the things that have happened and then be here to see what new things Dr. Mikovits has to bring to us. You won't regret it. Now, don't don't worry. If you can't hear the show that's going to air on Sunday, we will put it up live and it'll be picked up by our podcast outlets. We have 37 different podcast hosting entities that will pick up our every day, our podcast after the live show go live uh, show goes off the air. Places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, even Facebook and Google carry our podcast. So it's TNN Live, TNN Live, and put an exclamation point after that. Put it in your search bar, and our show will come up. It'll be at the top of the page, and the latest show is the first one that is ever listed there. So you can get this Monday show, the live show, but even better than that on Sunday, if you go to church, and I hope you do. When you get back, you can go to your podcast hosting site and listen to that show in its entirety from back in May of 2020 with Dr. Mikovits. We're going to be hearing lots and lots and lots of things about former President Trump, not just about politicization and running for office for president again, which he is. He did the paperwork. He's formally announced. And even though he's under indictment, he is running for president. And just so you know what the law says, and I'm chuckling, I'm trying to hold it back while I'm talking to you, but qualifications for anybody to run for president in the United States, all you have to be is of age 40 minimum. Also, you've got to be a natural-born citizen. You've been here in the United States. That's really the only two qualifications that are there. A convicted criminal can run for president. Somebody that's in jail can run for president. All those things being said, we're going to hear every day ad nauseum all kind of stuff like this. And I'm reminding you this is going to be happening from now through the election and even after the election depending on what the outcome of this litigation is going to be because there's more litigation coming they're going to keep coming after Trump until they have exhausted every attempt possible to keep him from being in U.S. government anymore the left are deathly afraid not so much about Donald Trump but what he represents which is freedom and justice for all, everybody has the same opportunities to do and achieve anything in this country. And he believes in giving all the power of the government back to the people, which our forefathers were so committed to after the Constitution was penned and then signed 
and went into effect, they came back and said, wait a minute, we need to make darn sure, we need to triple down on making sure that none of the freedoms of the American people can be just automatically taken away by the government. And they penned the first 10 amendments that are called the Bill of Rights in which they detail those specific rights that will never belong to the United States government, but will always be the power solely of the people. So before we launch into, we're probably going to spend maybe 15, 20 minutes on the Trump stuff today. I want you to hear yesterday, uh, Stuart Varney with Byron Daniels. Daniels is a very, very smart African-American member of the House of Representatives from Florida. And he's one of those guys, he just tells it like it is. And I really like that about him. Uh, He's very credible in what he does. He understands a lot of things. And one thing that he really understands is our political operation and the way our elections go. So he's been under fire for a lot of things, and even Hillary Clinton tried to teach him a lesson. Congressman Byron Donalds with Stuart Varney of Fox Business. Conversation about Hillary. Byron Donalds is a Republican from the great state of Florida, and Byron Donalds joins me now. Congressman, you are a Trump guy. How do you feel about being told you're in a cult? I stopped caring about what Hillary Clinton (laughs) had to say long ago because she lost a long, long time ago. And she's largely irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. But to a broader level, since Hillary wants to engage, allow me to engage. Hillary, you lied multiple times, you destroyed emails, you destroyed evidence, and then you laundered phony information that you knew was phony into the intelligence community because you were scared you were going to lose. You did all this and you still lost. So I'm not going to listen to Hillary Clinton about who I should and should not support because she has lied to the American people repeatedly. She used our institutions to spy on her rival's campaign. Yes, America, she did that. So if people like talking about Watergate and Nixon, look no further than Hillary Clinton and Crossfire Hurricane. And that's the last we'll say about Hillary Clinton in this hour. But thanks for bringing it up, Byron Donalds. Sure. Mr. Trump is involved in multiple legal battles right now. Regardless of the final verdicts, you know, he is going to be tied up in court for years. Some Republicans have started to pull away from him, worried about the, the legal circus that will stretch on for maybe a couple of years. Are you pulling away from Trump at all? No, I'm not. I'm not pulling away. I actually talked to him yesterday, um, and he was in good spirits, although obviously he's not happy with all this this foolishness. And I think the operative word, Stuart, that you used is circus, because that's exactly what this is. We've talked about the Alvin Bragg stupidity going on in Manhattan. We know that's just dumb and irrational and political. This here is serious in the state that you're talking about sending a 76-year-old man to jail, basically to die in jail, because he had documents in his house, and he's a former president? Well, guess what? Every former president has documents. They've all taken them. And under the Presidential Records Act, they're allowed to review the documents they take with them over a five-year period with NARA. That is the law. They're allowed to do that. And so for the for the Department of Justice and the Biden White House, and I will say that add the Biden White House, for them to criminalize this and try to turn this into some massive obstruction that was damaging our national security, 
That is a flat out joke. And the reason I say that is because too many pundits on TV, too many news anchors, too many reporters, they get leaks of classified information all the time from elected officials and from members of the intelligence community. I can say that with certainty because I've read classified information that is being reported on the news. So I know that these leaks occur. So to say what's happening with Donald Trump is, some, is somehow to the core of our national security interests, that is a joke. People who want to be distracted by the circus, and that word is, is, a, is true, is because they're trying to move on, they've been waiting for an excuse to move on, and they're using this as a position to do so. Full throat of support of Donald Trump from Byron Donalds, Republican from the great state of Florida. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us. Let me just add this about Representative Byron Donalds. One of the reasons I like him so much, you just heard him, he shared that fact with us. That is, he's in. He's in. There are a lot of different slings and arrows that are coming after former President Donald Trump. Always have been. I mean, they began to happen right after he and Melania came down that escalator in Trump Tower before they formally announced that he was going to run for president back in 2015 when he came down the escalator. Wasn't even into the election year yet. But it seems like he's not under attack. He lives in assault mode. He's being assaulted every day from people coming from every side with all kinds of allegations. But yet, he has survived. And I personally think he's going to survive this latest one. Byron Donald does as well. But the thing that makes me really like Byron Donald's the way that I feel, I'm all in for him. I wish he was a representative in my state, Louisiana. I'd certainly support him and vote for him. Floridians need to understand how fortunate they are to have him representing them there. What I like about him is he is all in. He is all in for President Trump, as I am. Yes, there are things about former President Trump I don't like. And honestly, I can't imagine any person that would run for president would I be 100% all in for anything and everything they say? So there are differences that I have on a personal level with former President Trump, but why I supported him the first time and the second time, and I'm going to support him going forward, I'm going to forget about all of the stuff that's being thrown at him. And it, it literally is. It's an outside assault against him, and it's going to continue and it's going to ramp up. They're going to throw at him anything and everything they feel is necessary to keep him from even being able to run for president, let alone be elected and go back to D.C. and back to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But he's not a stupid person. They don't give him credit for what he's done what his successes are, and even looking in his wake of his past and businesses. Not everything has worked out. That's a mark of a true entrepreneur. But thankfully for him and all of those that are investors with him, more of them have worked out than have not. And that's one reason why he had such a successful four years in the White House as president. And they were very successful. Very successful, not for him. He lost a bunch of his wealth in those four years, but he did it representing the American people. 
and we were the winners. We were the winners. So in this frontal assault, full frontal assault that he's going through right now, he deployed, I don't know if you noticed this the other day, but two days ago, he deployed a novel strategy against the charges of mishandling of classified documents, and he's named it the Clinton Socks Defense. He mentioned the Clinton Socks precedent in some remarks to his supporters at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, after he had gone to Miami and faced the formal arrest from those indictments. And as Scott Adams first pointed out, of all the alleged false claims that CNN pointed out in its fact check of that speech, the Clinton Sox defense was very curiously absent. They didn't even address it in their response to what Trump said during that address to his fans at Bedminster. Why did they leave it out? It's because it's particularly a strong defense. And of course, because it points to the fact that the Clintons, both Bill and Hillary, took government documents home with them without being prosecuted for doing so. So the Clinton Sox case did not involve President Bill Clinton's cat, who, by the way, happened to be named Sox but rather a very infamous episode in which Bill Clinton stuffed 79 audio tape recordings in his sock drawer after he left the White House. He later claimed the tapes were personal records that were not subject to the Presidential Records Act of 1978, despite allegations they included and contained some uh, classified information and conversations with foreign leaders. Judicial Watch's Michael Bacasha opined in yesterday's Wall Street Journal that a president can choose what records to keep or what records to return to the National Archives. That has been proven in law. Keep that in your mind as we push through all of this stuff that's about to go to epic proportions as the left try to unseat Donald Trump and put him in jail for the rest of his life. But Kesha said he understood this well because, as he put it, I know because I'm the lawyer who lost the Clinton sock drawer case. He said the DOJ and a federal judge back in 2012 defined presidential records as anything left at the White House after a sitting president leaves office. Makes sense. The Clinton Sox president could therefore provide a path for Trump to argue that the records seized from Mar-a-Lago were personal in nature, even if they contained sensitive information. Now, the Department of Justice, they obviously are familiar with the Clinton Sox defense. There are parallels between the two cases in that both former President Clinton and Trump allegedly disclosed classified information in private meetings. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's indictment of Trump also relies on those audio recordings of an interview between Trump and a writer and publisher. In the Clinton Sox case, the tapes contained troves of private interviews conducted with historian Taylor Branch while Clinton was in office that allegedly recorded phone calls and discussions Clinton had as part of his official duties. The court's opinion in that case states that the sole authority to classified records 
pursuant to the presidential records uh, archive, rests solely with the president. And the National Archives does not have any authority regarding classification, nor can it seize any presidential records. So, you're going to hear the Clinton Sox defense. It's going to keep coming up. It was just one of the arguments Trump cited. He noted, as conservative radio host Mark Levin has pointed out, the Espionage Act of 1917, which Trump is accused of violating, was not intended to apply to presidents. If it had been, then every president who took documents with him before the passage of the PRA in 1978 could have been prosecuted for espionage. So when you hear all of these CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC News, you hear all of them out there launching assaults against Trump because he broke the espionage law. He did not. Trump also noted the indictment failed to deal with the PRA itself. He claimed that the Mar-a-Lago raid violated his Fourth Amendment rights to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures, seizures that included his personal passport, by the way. So it remains to be seen whether any of these arguments are strong enough to quash the indictment. But the Clinton Sox defense is among the most formidable ones, a fact to which CNN's relative silence about it lets you know there may be some meat on that bone. And if there is, I promise you, whoever's representing Trump in all of this, when he gets his his law team put together, they will finally, they'll dig into and get all of the details. That's going to be part of his defense, and justifiably so. One of Trump's long-lying buddies, I guess that's a good term for Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, he's always been a Trump fan. Even if you remember... Lindsey ran against Donald Trump, at least for a, a brief moment. And uh, even though they were political opponents, Lindsey is pretty objective, and he looked at what Trump has been able to accomplish, what he was good at doing, and was successful getting done for the American people during his term in the White House. Lindsey has weighed in about what's ahead for Donald Trump in this, in this attack by the left. I thought it would be better for you to hear what Lindsay had to say from hearing it from Lindsay. Let's turn it over to South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. He's a member of the Judiciary Committee. So what would you uh, do if you were Donald Trump? I'd plead not guilty. I'd get the best lawyer I could, and I'd make my case to the American people that what's happening to me is a danger to you. Uniformity uh, of application of the law is dying in America. All the people that you played, Joe Scarborough and that crowd, I don't remember them saying one word about Hillary Clinton taking her staff, taking a hammer to a, uh, to a Blackberry that the government wanted and destroyed it bleach bit to a hard drive to erase emails that was under subpoena. I don't remember anybody saying it was bad for Anthony Weiner to have on his computer classified information that was in control of Hillary Clinton. So equal application of the law is dying in this country. If I were President Trump, I'd focus on the future. I'd have faith in the American people. And the final verdict in this case, Jesse, will not be in a courthouse in Miami. This case will not go to trial 
to verdict before the election. I think the final verdict will be by the American people in November 2024. If it does go all the way to the Supreme Court on appeal, right. what do you think happens there? Oh, their attorney-client privilege has been destroyed here. You know, there's a concept in the law you can't use the privilege to, to hide a crime. But the idea of a conversation between the attorney uh, and his client has been pretty much destroyed here. Espionage is ridiculous. They're charging the president under the Espionage Act. He did not commit espionage. He may have mishandled classified information similar to what Hillary Clinton did. But the idea of charging him with espionage, I hope, goes all the way to the Supreme Court. There are a lot of legal issues in this, uh, this case that will probably will go to the Supreme Court. But this is not about so much the law. It's about who we are as a people. We're living in a country, if you're a Democrat and you're the Secretary of State, you can violate the hell out of the Public Records Act. You can destroy evidence under subpoena. You can allow information to get in the hands of felon, and nothing happens to you. We live in a country where the FBI altered evidence in the Mueller investigation to convince a court that Trump was something he was not, and virtually nothing happened. Remember the Russian investigation where they wanted you to believe that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians in 2016? The desire to get Trump is destroying this country, and the people have a chance to fix this. So in November 2024, here's what I predict. There will be a backlash against this overreach. People will look at Trump as the solution, not the problem, and he's going to win in November 2024. And this indictment almost certainly secures the nomination for him. All right, well, Hillary Clinton says Trump voters are in a cult. The more people who get in against him, his chances actually go up. And then the response that we've seen in polling from Republicans um, suggests that they're going to stick with him, that it's more of a cult than a political party at this point, and they're going to stick with their leader. Are you in a cult, Senator? I'm an American who believes that if you believe Hillary Clinton should be prosecuted, you probably should believe that Trump should be prosecuted. If you believe she should get a pass, Trump should get a pass. No, I'm not in a cult. You know, I have taken the president on when I think he's wrong. But what they're doing to President Trump is a game changer for the presidency. They've taken the law and turned it upside down on numerous occasions to get him. They've lied about information to a court. They've tried to uh, uh, basically create narratives that are not true. They're charging him with espionage. So this desire to get Donald Trump uh, doesn't mean uh, it's gone too far. You don't have to be in a cult to find this offensive. They're destroying the country in the name of trying to keep one man off the ballot. And that's why I'm so upset. Let the people decide whether Donald Trump should be president. Quit trying to destroy his life through a bunch of le bogus legal uh, cases in Manhattan, uh, now uh, in Miami, and eventually in Atlanta. All right. Senator Graham predicts Donald Trump will be Re-elected next November. Yes, I do. We'll play that tape if it happens. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Senator. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Probably the most important thing I heard Senator Graham say in that conversation was, and he did do what he just told Jesse he, he was going to do. He has been doing it, which is, I take on Donald Trump when I disagree with things that he's done or things that he says. That, my friends is the right and the responsibility of every American voter. Every American citizen needs to be willing to step up to the plate, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody running for president 
running for office in your state, running for your congressional seat. It doesn't matter. Whoever is doing so, you have an obligation, a sense of obligation to take them on. Disagree with them. That's one of the freedoms that's guaranteed to every American by the First Amendment of the Constitution. Sometimes people don't like what we say, especially politicians, but guess what? That's a fundamental right that our government did not give to us. We've had it as citizens from the beginning of this thing. 240 years we've had that right, unfettered. It cannot be abridged by the government. And there are those that are around Donald Trump, many of them you've heard, the insane people over at CNN and MSNBC. They were going crazy when he was on the air the other night after he was indicted, arrested, and he went back to Bedminster and did that speech. They were incensed that their networks were actually playing the things that Donald Trump was saying playing them live, and they, they just blasted their networks. Oh, I don't need to see any more of that. Oh, I, you know, I, I, I don't need that. And then there was this, you remember when he left the Miami courtroom on his way back to the airport to get on his plane to fly to New Jersey, he stopped by that very famous restaurant in Miami. And CNN they went crazy because he did even that. Listen to him. And some in the media having a meltdown when live coverage showed hundreds of Donald Trump supporters outside the courthouse throughout Miami yesterday. He's still a yeah. candidate for president. That's the picture over your um, brilliant words. We don't need to see that anymore. We know where he is. And as we watch uh, Donald Trump attempt to turn his arrest and indictment into some sort of campaign commercial, the folks in the control room, I don't need to see any more of that. He, this, he's trying to turn this in. He's trying to turn it into a spectacle, into a campaign ad. That's enough of that. We've seen it already. Wow. Fox News contributor Joe Concha joins me now. Joe, wasn't this visit to the Versailles restaurant, that famous Cuban restaurant there in Miami, part of the overall news event that, I don't know, real journalists should cover on a day like yesterday? Todd, no surprise here from CNN. Uh, Jake Tapper was part of a mutiny that drove its former network president, Chris Licht, out of the channel for having the audacity for putting Donald Trump on its air a few weeks ago for a town hall. And now that the inmates are fully running the asylum again, it has returned to being the resistance network to all things Trump and anything conservative. You remember a night after that town hall with Trump in May, Anderson Cooper goes on the air and says, I know you're angry. I wouldn't blame you for never watching this channel again. It's like, well, what am I watching? Uh, meanwhile, Jake Tapper pushed Trump-Russia collusion as a fact for three years uh, when Trump was president. And the best part is this anchor in Tapper is saying he would never allow anyone who lies to be on his air, all while he's interviewing last night at the same time Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's made a career as a lawmaker for doing just that. So this is the uh, new CNN, I guess, which is basically the old CNN under Donald Trump's presidency. And this is the type of commentary we're going to see moving forward, guys. It is hysterical and sad at the same time. Meantime, speaking of which, yeah. here's Hillary Clinton's reaction when asked about the Trump indictment. On Thursday, the Department of Justice indicted former President You're Donald Trump. Kidding. I know. Oh. Did you have any reaction to the news or are you keeping your powder dry in case you get jury duty in New York? <laughs> 
You know, John, um, I have a lot of reactions uh, to it. Uh, and I think uh, the best reaction publicly is, you know, let's see it unfold and see okay. what happens, right? You know, Joe, in the tease, I called her the first cackler, really settling the setting the bar high for one Kamala Harris. But really here, isn't yeah. she just laughing at us, the American people, because she got away with mishandling her own set of documents? Todd, Hillary Clinton has issues, right? She's been on a public therapy tour for the better part of almost seven years, showing she clearly has not gone over the fact that she lost to Donald Trump despite having every advantage possible, including the FBI, to your point, not pressing charges against her, despite her actions regarding classified documents being infinitely worse than anything Donald Trump has done because her classified information was placed on a server that was hacked by foreign adversaries. And now she's out there twerking about it uh, because she got away with it and Donald Trump did not. It's just a whole bowl of wrong, Todd, and I guess we'll have to leave it there. And it's why the American people look at this and say, there's two sets of rules in this country and the elite yeah. have their own. And it's sad. Joe Concha, not sad. Thank you. There is somebody else that figures into this specific conversation. And I'm going to deal with him. Him being former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Chris Christie. It's hard to even say his name, but anyway, he was the governor of New Jersey. He ran for president previously and just got lambasted in part by his old friend, Donald Trump. Not so much old friends anymore. Chris Christie got back in the race. He's running again, and he made it very clear his principal reason for running is to, and he didn't put it in these words, I did, and I'll say it again, he wants to be the attack dog that is going to go after Donald Trump in any way he possibly can while campaigning to bring Trump down. The problem is Chris Christie is one of those people that bowed at the altar believing that Donald Trump was evil when Donald Trump was doing so many successful things in his business career in New York. Christie was just across the river. And he watched it firsthand, and he claimed to be friends with Trump back then. Was he really Trump's friend? I think the the answer to that question is pretty obvious. Good friends don't do the things that Chris Christie's been doing and will continue to do. He doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning the nomination. Absolutely none. But he doesn't care. And so what does that mean in context? It means that there are a lot of people because Chris Christie's not going to spend the money to campaign for president, for the nomination from the Republican Party. He's not going to do it. That means there are some heavyweight Republicans, rhinos, Republicans in name only, that are standing behind and are funding Chris Christie's run for the White House. Got more about that, and we also have a new candidate that's running for the nomination for Republican to represent themselves in 2024 for president. That and more after this. You do your thing and you do it well. Now it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. 
Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. He sits in judgment. He stands for the law. Kind of looks like a hero and sounds like your paw. What He smiles and he laughs. His voice tinged with gravel. But the bad guys gasp when he bangs his big gavel. Wapner. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner. When neighbors brawl, when lovers refute, when suppliers and buyers and liars dispute. Wapner won't let those law books get dusty. Got a buddy named Doug and a sidekick named Rusty. Rusty. With Wapner. Judge Wapner. Doesn't do it from towers, doesn't do it from steeples. He does it in court. A court called People's. Wapner. People's Court. Judge Wapner. Call him your honor. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner rules on the people's court. Song over. Song over. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Clown car of the deep state. Now, the deep state doesn't have to be people from one political party. Political parties, not so much a big deal. It's people. People that want to play the political game rather than represent the people that they're supposedly representing. One of the evilest of those has always been in my mind, Chris Christie. He was a governor of New Jersey for several terms. He, uh, he tried to take um, responsibility for a bunch of good things that happened that he wasn't responsible for, and then he tried to parlay that into becoming the president of the United States. He was immediately kicked to the curb. And he's like, I don't know, a little dog, one of those yipper dogs that they just constantly yip, 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 yip. And they never go away. Even when their owners pick them up or try to get them to stop doing the yip, yip, yips, they keep on going. That's Chris Christie. And believe me, he's anything but a little dog. (laughs) So yesterday... Christie got into it with Fox News' Bill Hemmer, and they sparred, and it was about Christie suggesting that former Trump president is to blame for our problem at our southern border. Christie was asked about Republican support for the former president in light of his arrest on Tuesday. I mean, that's a logical question. That's what Hemmer asked him, and with the former governor argued that Republicans should be concerned about a weaponized justice system, but also may not want Trump back in office. Now, that, of course, is the prerogative of any American voter. I mean, you may like somebody now, but when they run again, you may not like them and want to back in. But it's not something for any candidate to take ownership up and just kind of declare it. 
I'm looking at these polling numbers and he's crushing it, Himmer said. Here's one from June 5th through the 9th, Suffolk University. Trump is at 48%. Others have him well over 50%. I saw one poll with him at 61%. And you've gotten into this campaign saying that you're going to be the biggest critic that Donald Trump has. But I look at these numbers and I wonder, do Republican primary voters want a critic? I think they want a campaign. That was Christie's response. We're going to make a case that we've done nothing but lose since Donald Trump has been the leader of this party. Nothing but lose. 2018, we lost the House. 2020, we lost the White House and the Senate. 2022, we lost two more governorships, another Senate seat, and we barely took the House of Representatives against Joe Biden, who is the most incompetent president I've ever seen since Jimmy Carter. This is a failure of leadership by Donald Trump. He picked most of those candidates who lost, and he'd led us down a path of losing, and what are the ramifications for that? Record inflation, botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, sending the country into an educational tailspin because we're excluding parents from their children's education. The border, by the way, Trump's policies did much better on everything that you just mentioned. Him or cut Christie off. Now, wait a second, Bill. His policies did not do better at the border, okay? At the border, we had a diminish, a diminishment of what we're seeing now. Himmer then argued that Trump will likely say that Biden stopped his policies, which led to the current crisis. I would say one of the things that President Trump did that Biden doesn't is support the Border Patrol the men and women who are on the ground there. That came from Dana Perino, co-host on that show with Bill Hemmer. The Biden administration has experienced record-breaking numbers of migrant encounters at the border with the numbers skyrocketing from over 450,000 encounters by Custom and Border Protection back in 2020 to over 1.7 million in 21 and over 2.3 million in 2022. The Biden administration ended the Trump-era remain-in-Mexico policy in 2022 after initially ending the policy upon Biden taking office. Now, I promise you this. We will not be bringing you a bunch of reports about anything that Chris Christie has to say about anything because he is nothing but an attack dog for the left and for rhino Republicans in this selection. That's all he is, and he's not worth covering. I just thought I would give you that initial information about what he said to Bill Hemmer yesterday. By the way, he went to Bedminster. He flew from Miami back to New Jersey. He went to Bedminster, which is his country club, and he had a little fundraiser there. He hauled in couple of million dollars dining with $100,000 each donors who feasted on crab cakes at Bedminster's candlelight dinner after his speech. He raised more than $2 million from donors who attended that dinner. After his day in federal court, his defiant speech delivered outside the clubhouse. CNBC reported Wednesday that bastion of intelligence and honesty in reporting, right, CNBC? 
They said that supporters who donated or raised more than $100,000 toward his 2024 White House bid were invited to attend that very intimate affair. They were fed Trump favorites, including burgers and crab cakes, and were served wine and cocktails. The initial invitation had teased special congressional guests, but only Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville made it to New Jersey as there were ongoing votes going on Tuesday night. Tuberville stayed for the donor dinner. I was invited a couple of weeks ago, he said. He told Daily Mail about the scheduling that he was included in, did Tuberville. Prior to the more exclusive dinner, a crowd of several hundred gathered in front of the clubhouse. That's a golf resort, Bedminster. And they were there to hear him deliver blistering remarks about the Mar-a-Lago documents case. That event attracted some Trump world favorites, including My Pillow Guy, CEO Mike Lindell, Sebastian Gorka, Andrew Giuliani, and Bernie Carrick. Eric Trump was also at the event, as did Kimberly Guilfoyle, the fiance of Donald Trump Jr. Aides who had traveled with the president to Miami included Boris Epstein and Margot Martin. They were also on hand. Walt Nauta, who is also facing federal charges over the Mar-a-Lago documents case, he returned to New Jersey with the president, Trump's spokesman said, but NailyMail.com did not spot him in the audience for the speech. One large group in the audience was Vietnamese Americans for America First, who were easy to spot. Why? All the women were sporting the same red MAGA dress. Trump told that audience that his prosecution in this case was the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. And I must tell you, I agree with him on that. Many Americans, most Americans, by the way, do. More than half of Americans think he's getting a raw deal. Even Democrats. I did everything right and they indicted me, he said. The former president suggested that other political figures had gotten away with much worse. He lost the nuclear codes. Now, who was Trump talking about? Do you remember? Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. And Trump, by the way, called Bill Clinton a nice guy. They should have used him a little bit more as an advisor in their 2016 election. Trump joked, alluding to how he beat Clinton's wife Hillary in the presidential election that year. Trump also charged that George W. Bush's White House lost 22 million emails. A document-shredding truck was spotted on the way to Dick Cheney's house. Can you imagine? (laughs) Trump added that in his speech. And he spoke at length about Bill Clinton's Sox case we talked about just a little little while ago, which fact-checkers have already said isn't a valid comparison to what Trump is accused of doing. Now, that doesn't matter. Fact-checkers say what fact-checkers say, and we know they don't necessarily they don't necessarily tell the facts, the fact-checkers I'm talking about. So what else is going on? There's a lot of information in the the wake of these and uh, indictments of former President Trump that are being mischaracterized, even lied about, data being lied about. And one of those is about black unemployment. Black unemployment. Fox News political analyst Gianno Caldwell, he tore 
into ex-Biden 2020 surrogate, a guy named Kevin Walling, on Wednesday, after Walling claimed black unemployment is at a historic low under the Biden administration. Caldwell and Walling joined the Faulkner Focus to talk about the Biden administration, including VP Harris and her very, very low approval ratings. Caldwell said Harris has lost support among the black community, which was one of her strongest gets. Joe Biden has absolutely failed the black community, and those black voters who supported them know it. And now they're thinking about this election very differently. When you look at the most recent polling, and it's been about three or four weeks now, the president in that category, that compartmentalized voting block, African-Americans in this country fell from 90% to 58%. So there's a whole lot of work to do there, Harris said. And Walling replied, I'm not worried about that. How are you going to fix it? Well, we're going to campaign directly to those people, talking about the accomplishments of this administration, that we had the lowest black unemployment rate in the history of this country. You're not counting black men. That's the reason why. We're counting all black Americans in that number, Walling said. Nope, that actually isn't true, Caldwell responded. 100% absolutely. We got to take that message to all different communities that make up the Democratic bloc. Last time I looked, if you're having a problem paying for the food on your table, the messaging probably is too late. You got to start to stick and move. You got to have action, Harris Faulkner said. That's on either side of the aisle. Your side is in power now. So what are the real numbers there? As of April 23rd, April 23rd, just two months ago, not even two months ago, the black unemployment rate fell to 4.7%. That is the lowest since it's been recorded, 4.7%. While it's unclear what Caldwell is referring to specifically, the unemployment rate for black men did come down, though some say it's because more workers are leaving the labor force. In October of 2022, the unemployment rate fell for black men from 5.8% to 5.3%, according to the report, but it wasn't a cause for celebration. It went in the right direction for the wrong reasons. That's according to Howard University economics professor, a guy named Bill Spriggs. The report argued that the downward trend in black male unemployment is likely because the labor force participation rate is going down. And by the way, when that happens, no president can take accountability for that or can take the blame for it when it goes the wrong direction. So let's move on to some other conversations. Do you believe that we are still fighting publicly almost every day about the source of COVID. Where did it come from and how did it get spread around the world? There are some facts out now. And the facts that are out there, just so you know, don't agree with the so-called science that Dr. Anthony Fauci demanded that every one of us agree with because according to him, he is the science. Three Wuhan lab scientists. Those three scientists 
were genetically altered, the COVID virus, they were the first ones to fall sick with COVID-19. According to multiple U.S. government officials interviewed as part of a lengthy inquiry by independent news outlet Public and Racket, the first people infected by the virus are Ben Hu, Ping Yu, and Yan Zhu. They were all members, all three of them, of the Wuhan lab suspected to have leaked the pandemic virus, and they all three partook in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology on SARS-like coronaviruses. Gain-of-function research is that it involves involving animal viruses, altering them in a lab to make them more infectious. And I've understood, I hear what they say as a reasoning for doing it. None of the reasoning have I heard that makes any sense. I don't believe there should be gain-of-function research on any type of bacteria or virus because nothing good can come from it. Nothing good can come from it. Alina Chan, who's a molecular biologist at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard and co-author with Matt Ridley of Viral, The Search for the Origin of COVID-19, said, Ben Hu is essentially the next Xi Jingli. He was her star pupil. He had been making chimeric SARS-like viruses and testing these in humanized mice. If I had to guess who would be doing this risky virus research and most at risk of getting accidentally infected, it would be him. Ms. Zhang Li, you may remember, known as the Batwoman of China, led the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research. One of her partners or colleagues revealed last week that at the start of the pandemic, Dr. Xi feared the possibility that COVID could have emerged from experiments, experiments carried out at the Wuhan lab. Professor Wang, let me get this right, Wang Linfa, described as a friend of hers by the BBC, said the respected scientist spent sleepless nights combing through frozen virus samples at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, fearing what might happen if she found an exact match for COVID in her lab. Mr. Hugh and Mr. Yu co-authored a scientific paper with Ms. Jing Li in 2019 on the geographical structure of bat SARS correlated coronaviruses. Jamie Metzel, a former member of the World Health Organization Experts Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing, who raised questions starting in early 2020 about a possible research-related pandemic origin, and said this, It's a game-changer if it can be proven that Hugh got sick with COVID before anyone else. That would be the smoking gun. Hugh was the lead hands-on researcher in Xi's lab. On Saturday, the New York Times quoted an anonymous U.S. State Department investigator saying, it's become increasingly clear that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was involved in the creation, the promulgation, and the cover-up of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Wall Street Journal reported back in May of 2021 that three researchers from China's sought hospital care 
in November of 2019. That's months before China even disclosed the COVID-19 pandemic. The newspaper said a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report provided fresh details on a number of researchers that were impacted, the timing of their illnesses with COVID, and their specific hospital visits. One State Department fact sheet released near the end of the Trump administration said, quote, the U.S. government has reason to believe that several researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology got sick in the autumn of 2019. That was before the identified case of the outbreak with symptoms that were consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illnesses. It did not say how many researchers did become sick. China has refused to give any raw data on early COVID-19 cases to the WHO-led team probing the pandemic's origins. That's according to one of the team's investigators. Reuters reported in February potentially complicating efforts to understand how this whole thing began. And it's, it's a conversation that's been going back and forth for months and months and months. And we may never get an absolute confirmation of where and who and what was the source of COVID-19. David Asher, a former U.S. official who led a State Department task force that dealt with the virus's origin for then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he told the Hudson Institute seminar in March that he doubted the lab researchers got sick because of the ordinary flu. He said this, I'm very doubtful that three people in highly protected circumstances in a level three laboratory working on coronaviruses would all get sick with the flu that put them in the hospital or in severe conditions all in the same week. And it didn't have anything to do with the coronavirus. Those are his words. He added that the researcher's illness may represent the first known cluster of COVID-19 cases. President Biden signed a bill earlier this year that specifically called for the release of the names and roles of the researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology who got sick in the fall of 2019, what their symptoms and the date of their symptoms onset were, plus whether or not they'd been involved with or exposed to COVID-19 research. On December 29th of 2017, that's two years before the pandemic, Chinese state-run TV showed a video that allegedly includes Ben Hu overseeing a lab worker handle specimens. Neither of the pair are wearing a mask. So now these quote-unquote official reports are coming back, and the official reports are now lending credence to what a lot of people have been saying from the very beginning, but the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci, oh, there's no way it happened. It came through the wet market in Wuhan and it was in animals. There was bats that were there and they had the coronavirus. It migrated into other animals and through the wet market where they sell fish and other types of animals that come out of the water. They're claiming that's where COVID-19 began. 
And that did not happen. That was not the source. It's been confirmed, scientifically, by the way. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. You're juvenile, mate. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a Dare Ice Coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta Coffee Kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A Dare Ice Coffee Fix will fix it. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I w- I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Supermodels. What do you model, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Conservative thought, not just talk. At TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. I want to get this final information out to you. While the show was going on, it was learned the Bidens have allegedly been confirmed to have coerced a foreign national to pay them $10 million in bribes. Now, that's according to people familiar with this FD-1023 confidential human source report. Now, think about that. The Federalist has now learned the FD-1023 reported that CHS saying the Bidens coerced Zlochevsky, that Ukrainian national, to pay those bribes. Sources familiar with the investigation also explain the context of Zlochevsky's statements and that contacts further bolsters the reports. Hmm. The reports that the Bidens, who would that be? Well, it would be Hunter And I don't think Hunter could do it alone. There is no way an oligarch from Ukraine was going to volunteer to pay $10 million to the Bidens. 
Uncle Joe had to step in and do it. And I guarantee you, we're going to find out Uncle Joe did step in and do just that. A wrap on Thursday. Got another day in the week left. And then, of course, our bullet points offering comes up every Saturday in which we give you the biggest stories of the week. But until we get together tomorrow, how about another little uh, Michael McDonald ditty on the way out with James Ingram? This is a massive hit. You Christians, listen to the words to this song. Yamo be there. James Ingram, Michael McDonald. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.